Well, good morning, everybody. Shall we pray? Father, I ask that you help me to be a good steward of your word as I share what I believe you've given me this morning. I pray that your word would be like seed that would be sown in people's hearts and it would accomplish exactly what you intend. And that as there was an anointing in the worship, that that would continue and that you would continue to heal and to restore and to refresh us and challenge us just as you see fit. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sure, I almost feel like I don't need to preach because the worship kind of touched on everything I wanted to say. But perhaps what I can do is just try and ground some of the, the words and the things that we heard in the text. And we're going to be spending some time, as Pastor Louis said, in Ephesians chapter 1. And as I was preparing this week, I actually had this little, I don't know, I think it was a revelation, but insight into part of my life. I grew up attending Sunday school. My mom was a Sunday school teacher, so we were at Sunday school whenever there was Sunday school. And uh, I, wasn't prob- I wasn't born again at that time. I got born again when I was about 15 years old, committed my life to following Jesus then. But what I realized is that for as long as I could remember before that, I believed things about Jesus and about God that didn't actually affect how I behaved. It didn't what I believed didn't translate into my behavior, into my daily life. I knew all about Jesus. I believed probably all the right things about him because it was what I was taught in Sunday school and we had a good church. But it didn't actually translate in my mind to that should affect how I live every day and how I approach every day and how I went to school and and worked and interacted with my friends. And as I thought on that, I realized there's probably in our modern society, there's a couple of distinctions that we have which probably weren't thought of in Bible times. I think we have a distinction sometimes, perhaps some of us, between spiritual things and natural things, between what we do and believe and experience on a Sunday and what happens in our lives on a Monday. Perhaps you have a distinction between (laughs) what you do on a Saturday night and what happens in church on a Sunday morning. Maybe you just come to church to make sure, you know, God doesn't kill you or something. Um, But sometimes we have these distinctions that we create. And I think what's wonderful about Ephesians is that it helps us integrate particularly what we believe and how we behave. And you may remember that last week, Pastor Louis launched this process uh, where we start talking about Ephesians. And we look at Ephesians in two broad sections. The first three chapters are largely about what we believe, not exclusively. There's quite a bit in there about practical things that God has done and that we join in on, but largely it's about what we believe or should believe and about what God has done for us. And then the next three chapters, 3, 4 to 6, are about how we behave and how we practice and live out everything, how this what we believe impacts on how we behave. And so when I turned 15 or, or when I was 15 and I got born again, something happened in my life. And that when I gave my life to God, when I committed to following Him, perhaps in language that we're using now, when I decided to become a disciple and intentionally chose to follow Jesus and model my life after Him, something changed in me. The Spirit of God lived in me. And I can distinctly remember what I was like before that time on the inside and what I was like after that time. And it's God's Spirit in us that comes into our lives when we are born again, when we commit to becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that actually changes everything. 
I learned later that this experience of this knowing something had changed in me was rooted and bounded in Scripture as well. And we'll look at some of those scripture, Scriptures this morning. And so as Pastor Louis shared last week, we launched our theme for at least what we think might be a focus for the whole year, and we'll add components to that. But we're talking particularly now at the moment about the disciples' quest. What does it mean to be a disciple? And as we follow Jesus, what do we expect in our relationship with God. So what does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is just simply someone who follows Jesus, who intentionally decides that they want to take what they believe about God, about life, and what he says about life, and model it, our lives, after Jesus. The, the Greek word for disciple is the word mathetes, and it carries this idea of being a pupil or an apprentice, an adherent is probably a good word, where I decide to learn from the master. We, when we become disciples of Jesus, we decide to learn from him, to become like him, uh, more than just intellectually, but in how we pattern and live our lives as well. But we're talking about the disciples' quest, and so we're also on a quest. A quest is a purposeful journey towards making Jesus master of every part of our lives. And as Louis shared last week, this is not a self-effort, legalistic journey. It's a spirit-empowered journey where we want Jesus to come into every part of our lives and enable us and empower us to live for him in a better way. And so the key verse probably in the book of Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. It's right there when the focus of Paul changes from what we believe to what we behave. Right there is this verse which in the New Living Translation says, therefore, as a prisoner for serving, sorry, a prisoner, sorry, let me start again, reset. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, Paul writes, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And we have these two concepts here, that God has called us to things, but he wants us to live a worthy life, or as some of the more literal translations say, to walk a worthy walk. And you'll remember Pastor Louis shared about peripateo, or peripateto, I think you said, that idea that we walk with God and that Jesus walks into every part of our life. And this idea of being worthy, which is the Greek word axios, and remember the scale was here on the stage last week for those of you who are here. If you weren't really worth catching it on, on YouTube and just getting the foundation in there, but it's that, that bar on the scale that keeps things level, the axios, the worthy walk, that our lives come into alignment and wait out what God has done for us in our lives. And so our title this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 1 is Blessed in Christ. We are blessed in Christ. And we're going to kind of go through the text and I'll do a bit of a, a running commentary as we go through different sections just to highlight different phrases for you as we go. But basically, if you want to, a little handle to remember this, you can say that we're, when we, we start and continue our quest blessed. Okay, so you're blessed for the quest. Is that okay? You remember that? You're blessed for the quest. We're blessed in Christ. And so we're going to look at chapter one today, and it's largely about knowing how God has blessed us and what he has done for us. And we're going to spend some time, and if you have your Bible or a device here, please turn to Ephesians one, because we're going to go through the text a lot. And we're going to read from verse three to 14 in depth. And uh, if there's time, we'll look a little bit at the prayer at the end of that chapter as well. It's interesting for the, the linguists among you, from verse 3 to verse 14 in the Greek text, as Paul wrote it, is all actually one 
long sentence. Okay, so now that means you're supposed to be able to read it with one breath, but I don't think it's kind of what Paul was doing. But it is this, this concept that Paul wrote it, probably ignoring the rules of grammar because he's just so caught up in what God has done. He does something unconventional in the beginning of this letter as well, because normally he would have done his greeting, uh, which is verse 1 to 3, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus, to the faithful in Ephesus, grace and peace to you. That's his standard greeting. The next kind of step in a first century letter, the next normal thing that he would have done was to do a prayer of thanksgiving. I thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, which he actually only gets to in verse 15 in Ephesians because he's just caught up with God. He starts with praise be, or in some translations, blessed be. He kind of gets his introduction in the, uh, done, and then he just ignores the convention, and he goes, he's so caught up with everything that God has done and the scope of what God has done that he writes down this sentence and just blah, all over the page, kind of, sorry, in a nice way, I suppose. Eh? All over the page, he, he lets this uh, volume of praise loose. And so let's begin by looking at the, from Ephesians 1, and let's read verse 3 to 6, and I'll just highlight things as we go through there. Paul writes, and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, I'd like to just show you something in the text, and all the way through to verse 14, this is repeated, if you guys can just bring up the next slide, this phrase of, or this idea of being in him, or in Christ, or through Jesus Christ, in all the paragraphs that come, I'll have that concept underlined. But this is a repeated idea of Paul, that everything that God does is in Christ. Everything is about him. And so you could probably take these verses and go, all the blessings I've received in Christ. I'm going to just look at it a little bit differently this morning and try and just look at the activity of the Trinity in this passage. Uh, the word Trinity is not a word that you find in the Bible. It's a word coined by a uh, one of the early theologians in the church, his name was Tertullian, and he was trying to describe what he saw in the New Testament about who God is. And often you'll read in the New Testament about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so he spoke about this tri-unity. And uh, as we read, I'll show you probably something of the activity of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit as we go through this passage. But it's very important that we realize that we're, everything that happens here is in Christ. We sang earlier that Jesus is the center, and that's completely true. But what these verses also show us is that Jesus is not only the center, he's everything else that surrounds it as well. And we often sing, before and behind me, what, above and below me, sorry, let me get it right, before and behind me. And that is the truth of it, that Jesus is not only the center, he's everything else as well, because it's through him that God did everything. And it's only in him that all the blessings we're going to read about come into reality or come into fruition. You have to be in Christ to experience these things. So what does it mean to be in Christ? It means that you've confessed your sin. Confessed means to agree with. You've agreed with God about the condition 
of your lives. And we heard sermons three and four weeks ago, two and three weeks ago, around sin. But it means we agree with God fundamentally about the conditions of our lives. We confess the things we do wrong have missed the mark. It means that we repent. We turn away from living according to our own desires and our own wills, and we turn towards living with God. It means you believe that Jesus will do what he said he would do, which is he will forgive your sins if you repent and confess. And if you put your faith in Jesus, that you will receive forgiveness and life everlasting. Let's return to the text, and we look in verse 3. There's this phrase that says, He has blessed us with every, sorry, He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. God the Father has blessed us, He has provided for us everything we need for our quest, for our journey in life. Not just everything we need spiritually, and I know the text says it's in the heavenly realms, but we need to look at how do we take God's provision that's there and how we live from our spirits and translate that into the reality of our everyday lives. How do we take what God has done and make it real? You see, we live as believers, as Christians, from the spirit. The spirit is primary. God guides us and directs us by his spirit, and everything else in our lives should be influenced by that. And so God has provided for us every spiritual blessing, not enough spiritual blessing or some spiritual blessing. God has resourced you. He's provided you with every single thing that you need to do what he's called you to do. And so we start our quest or we continue our disciples' quest blessed. That's what the text also says. We look further down in Ephesians 1, 3 to 6, in verse 4, and there's a very important little phrase there, and it says, for he chose us. For he chose us. In Christ, but God chose you. As you are sitting here today, God chose you. It matters not what your past is. It matters not your circumstance or what you're wrestling with in your life. Your successes and victories matter not because God chose you. The text actually says that he chose you before the creation of the world. So long before anything was even made, before you did one single thing, before you earned anything, before you did anything right or you did anything wrong, God chose you. He chose you, the text says, with a purpose. He chose you to be holy and blameless. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. God's plan for you is that you can live a holy and blameless life. You can live the life that he's purposed for you to live. Christianity is not an impossible ideal. The Christian life is not an impossible ideal that you have to strive to succeed. It's a life that the Spirit empowers you, that God helps you live out fully. I wonder if you remember those games at school. We all do. Some of us more fondly than others, where during, like, we used to call them physical training PT classes. The, they would pick two people, usually like the two best people at something, and they would say, you choose, and you and you, you stand here, you stand here, and choose teams. And then everyone would always choose their friends, and, and you'd always stand there hoping you weren't last. Okay, I was always one of the guys choosing, so I have no idea what that feels like. Okay. <laughs> I'd always choose my friends first, too, so that they didn't feel left out. But it's interesting, you know, when you were eventually chosen, 
that that came with the responsibility. You then had to perform for the team. You had to do what the team requires. And it's kind of the same. When God chose you, it implies responsibility. One of the commentators who writes on this passage, his name is F.F. Bruce, he says, to be chosen in Christ involves both wearing his image and sharing in his holiness. So when God chose you, there is this responsibility that comes on us to live a holy and blameless life, to live the life that he intends for us to live. So we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We've been chosen before creation. The text also says in verse 5 that he predestined us for adoption. Now, I don't think Paul was very theological here. That's what he did in Romans. He tried to be precise. Here, predestined, I think, just means he predetermined. He decided before the time that you and I would become sons and daughters in his family. We are predestined. He predestined us for adoption into his family. So not only did God like you enough to choose you, he invited you to become part of his family. And we sang earlier that we are children of God. We're no longer slaves to fear or to anything else. We are children of God. And this is one of the blessings that God has done for us. He's adopted us. He's made us sons and daughters of God. This helps define us. This is where we find true identity. We find out who we are and how we fit into the world. We are blessed by being given identity and belonging in God. In case you're thinking that God maybe predestined some and he didn't others, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says God wants all to be saved. So God does want all to become sons and daughters in his family. This is about acceptance. I would also just like to point out, it's a, not a major point, but if you look in verses 5 and 6, you'll notice that there's some quite emotive language. It says that God blessed us in the heavenly realms, He chose us, He adopted us into His family, and it uses words like this, it was His pleasure and His will, and He freely has given us this. It was His pleasure, and He freely gives it to us. This was not God doing something out of duty. This was not God the Father kind of saying, okay, well, Jesus, you fixed it now, they cannot come in. This was the intention of God's heart. This was the intention of the Father. This is something that God wanted to do. God wanted to choose you. It was his pleasure to do so. Doesn't that just help a little in the heart? So, what we've read so far, what has God done for us? God the Father, in summary so far, he has blessed us with all we need for our quest. He has blessed us with all we need for our quest. He chose us before creation, and he chose us and gave us a purpose, to be holy and blameless. And he adopted us by accepting us into his family. Let's keep reading in the text from verse 7. We're going to go through to about verse 12, because we can look now at what God the Son, what Jesus provides and blesses us with. Verse 7, in him, in Jesus now. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times it reached their fulfillment 
and to bring to unity all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And so we're going to just keep going through those verses. Some things that are blessed, that we are blessed with and that are provided for us through Jesus are redemption and forgiveness. That our sins, the price of our sins, the consequences of our sins have truly been dealt with and that we can really be forgiven for the things we have done wrong and there's provision even for the things that we will do wrong as well. It is Jesus who paid the severe price. And please note, this is out of the riches of God's grace. You didn't earn it, and you don't deserve it. But God did it anyway, because he wanted to have his family whole again. There is a real forgiveness and a real salvation that God blesses us with and provides for us. But it is only through Jesus Christ. This alone probably if God had just done this, it would be phenomenal. It would be awesome. It would be more than enough. He chose us. He blessed us. He adopted us into his family, and he saved us. That is, I feel a bit like a salesman. You know those car salesmen says, not only this, but also, and it's a bit like that in this text where Paul's writing this one long idea. God's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this. And not only has he saved us, but he's also, verse 9, made known to us, the mystery of his will. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, the word mystery here doesn't mean secret. The word mystery is used in the New Testament in this sense, that there were things that were not known in the past, but now through Jesus, they have been made known. Things that perhaps in the Old Testament were pointed to after Jesus have become clear. So this is not about secret knowledge or special deep spiritual things. It's just that God has made known his plan through the life of Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus that God provides a way for us to learn God's will. It is in Christ that we learn God's will. It's in Christ that we can know God's plan, and more importantly, how we fit into that plan, how the story of our lives fits into God's bigger story. And this helps us make sense in a real and a true way of our lives. So we've been blessed, we've been adopted, we've been chosen, we've been forgiven, we've received redemption, God has made known to us his will. And the text also clearly points to us, for us, in verse 10, about what is God's bigger purpose, what is his purpose with redemption and forgiveness and adoption and all these wonderful things that God has done for us. It says his purpose is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And so while your and my salvation is critical and important, it fits into God's bigger plan where he's reconciling all things, how we believe and how we behave. He's reconciling what we do on Sunday and what we do on Monday. I have a kind of unique job. I work at a church, which very few people get the privilege and the, and the honor of doing. But as I worked at the church at a stage a couple of years ago, I found myself in a certain mindset that when something like this, a uh, battle to articulate it, but it was that I came to this place where I believed, incorrectly, by the way, that my work was all that was important to God, that what I did was all that was important to God. And, and God, through His Spirit, started convicting me and, and showing me that He cared not only about my work, but about the whole of my life. Now, I, I don't know how it is for, for people who don't work at a church, so I'll guess, but God's not only concerned 
about you. He's concerned about every aspect of your life. He's concerned about your work. He's concerned about your family. God wants to reconcile all things under Christ. Not just spiritual things, but physical and natural things as well. That's part of the bigger, greatest plan that God has. And we can only, as he's provided that for us in Christ, it's only in Christ that we can become aware of how we fit into that part. And actually, by the way, God is currently doing this in your life. He's reconciling things in your life. He's reconciling, because in all of our lives, there's this, a bit of a gap sometimes between how we believe and how we behave. We all believe we shouldn't sin. Hmm? Don't we? Okay. We all believe we shouldn't sin, but sometimes, some of us still do, not you. But as God works and reconciles our lives to him, that gap between what we believe and how we behave should be getting smaller and smaller. It's the process that God works in our lives. He's reconciling all things. So God cares about every aspect of your life, not just about what you do on a Sunday. He cares about you being a disciple on Monday as well. We carry on in Ephesians, and I just want to point out the, the, the rich emotive language again in verse 8 and, and verse 9. All these things that Jesus has done, redemption, forgiveness, making known his will, reconciling things in our lives, it says he lavished these things on us. It was his good pleasure. This is the heart of God towards us. Let's keep reading in Ephesians 1, verse 11 to 12. Still speaking about being in Jesus. It says, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And in verse 11, we have this idea again that we were chosen. It's a bit stronger here. It's that God, again, predetermined that you would be chosen. It's a bit like this, is that he's claiming you as his own. God is claiming you as his own. We belong to him. And then further down in verse 11, it says that he works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. No matter what has happened in your life or will happen, if you yield your life to him, God will work out not only things in our nation as we've prayed, not only things on a global scale, but particularly also things in our lives, he will work them out into conformity to his will. If you think of Romans 8, 28, where it says God works out all things for good. And that's part of God reconciling that previous idea that God is reconciling all things. So in God the Son, what has been provided for us? Jesus has redeemed us through his sacrifice. He forgave us according to the riches of his grace. He revealed his will to us and he's busy conforming all things to his purpose. This is all part of being blessed for the quest. But that is not all. There's even more. Let's read Ephesians 1, verse 13 to 14. Paul says, and you also, I'm probably here speaking to probably the more Gentile believers, so good. later in history include all of us. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You were part, you were included in Christ. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, probably implying a final redemption, to the praise of His glory. And here's a very important phrase that helps us understand some of God's intention as He blesses us. It says, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit or guarantee. Now, in ancient times, olden times, when they wrote letters, I think they did it quite recently in history still too, when they wrote a letter, they would often seal it. You know, they put some wax on it, and then if they had a ring or a stamp, they'd put their mark on it. It's that kind of concept that's being conveyed here, that God has put His mark of ownership on your life. What is that mark? It is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. I shared earlier, when I got born again, and God's Spirit came and lived in me. I don't exactly know how that works, but something happened. God came and lived in me and changed something fundamentally in my life. And I believe for many of you, that would be your experience too. That when God came and lived in you by His Spirit, something changed. So not only is the Holy Spirit in you a sign of God's mark of His authentication and approval on your life, it's also a sign that you belong. But Paul also writes here in this very long sentence, he says that this, the Holy Spirit in us, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is also a guarantee. It's like a deposit of something future. You know when you do, like if you buy a house or you do these big ticket scale items, they usually want a deposit paid up front. And it's a little bit like that. So you pay your deposit with an expectation that you will receive ownership. You pay the deposit that you will, well, you better. If you've paid the deposit to the bank, they will give you the keys to the house. And it's kind of that image that Paul's invoking here, that the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is just a deposit of everything we will receive more fully in future, when the fullness of redemption has come, is the language Paul uses. The presence of the Holy Spirit in me is a guarantee of my salvation. As I pursue God and I live a holy and blameless life, and as I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, the Holy Spirit lets me know that this is real. That one day we will live in eternity with God together. And so God, the Spirit, we've looked at God the Father. He chose us. He adopts us. The Son provides salvation for us and reveals God's will. And God the Spirit seals us. We are claimed by God as His. The Spirit also serves as a guarantee that's confirmed in that passage in 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5, that the Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee of everything that God wants to do in our lives. It also says in verse 14 that the Spirit empowers us to enter into our inheritance, into that which God has for us. And so we've been blessed in heavenly realms with everything we need. But how does that translate into my everyday? How does that translate into your everyday? The key here is that it's the presence of the Spirit of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, that does that for us. All this happens in Christ. We're chosen to do what God wants us to do. And as we journey and we, you go to work, this time tomorrow when you're at work, or this time tomorrow when uh, you've dropped your kids at school and you're busy with your house and you're busy with your day, uh, you're in class, if you're a student, whatever you're doing this time tomorrow, whatever challenge you face, that difficult boss or that insubordinate employee, or the difficult project, or the news that just shocks you, would so encourage you just to pause and go, well, the Spirit of God is in me. 
God has provided for me everything I need to handle this situation. God has given me a way to stand up to corruption. God has provided for me in the heavenly realms all that I need. How do I take that Holy Spirit and conform my life and translate that into reality? This also happens through prayer. We saying earlier about incense arising. Our prayers go up before God. So it's the Spirit of God in us, and as we pray, God working through our prayers and answering our prayers. And it's at this place in Ephesians that Paul prays a phenomenal prayer from verse 15 to 23. Paul prays a prayer. He actually then gets back into protocol. He gets out of this exuberant praise where he's caught up in everything that God has done, and he goes back to convention, and he says, it's for, the, uh, for this reason, ever since I've heard about you, I give thanks for you. That's the customary thanksgiving part. And we don't have time today to, to go through this, but there's just three things I want to show, and I'll just put up a slide. There are three main ideas in this prayer, and they're all about the word no. So Paul has just expressed this praise to God. He's told the Ephesians and the churches that would have been reading this letter all that God has done for them and how deeply and truly we are blessed in Christ. And this brings him to the place of prayer. And there's three main ideas in this prayer. He says that you may know, Paul prays for the readers of this letter, he says that you may know him better. That you may know the hope to which he has called you, the, to the reality of what you believe, and that you might know his power. It uses such an interesting phrase, and I wish I had more time to unpack it. But it says it's the same power that God reached out when he raised Jesus from the dead, that you would know that that power is available to you. It's the power not only for signs, wonders, and miracles. It's the power to change your life. It's the power to change my life. It's the power to go into my workplace, into my school, into my office, and into my home, and to become more and more like Jesus. It is that power that is for us. And so as we go on this disciples' quest, it's important that we realize that the disciples' beliefs must be matched by the disciples' actions. If we believe that this is everything that God has done for us, he's chosen me, I'm part of his family, I belong. He's provided for forgiveness for my sins. He's made known, he can make known his will to me. And that his spirit really lives in me not only as a mark of ownership, but empowering me to live this life that he's called me to live, then my beliefs and my behaviors can start being reconciled and they can come closer to one another. And so I'd like to invite you to stand and I'd actually like to pray over all of us this prayer that Paul prays and I'll paraphrase it. And if you want a little bit of homework for the week, can I give you some homework for the week? Because church is not just for Sundays, we understand that, right? When no one is watching, when you're at home this week, lay hands on yourself, like this, and you come to Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 15 to 23, and you pray this prayer over your life. Is that okay? And if you have children, you can lay your hands on them, and you can pray this prayer. Is that okay? So let's be weird. Is that all right? Lay hands on yourself. At least you can trust the hands then. Okay. I want to pray. I'm going to paraphrase. Father, thank you for this community of faith here at Hatfield. Thank you that you help us love people. And Lord, I give thanks for each one. 
Lord, I ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us a wisdom, sorry, a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. I pray, Lord, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we can know the hope to which you have called us. I pray, Lord, you help us to know the incomparably great power for us who believe. And Jesus, we declare, as we sang earlier, that you are worthy of it all. Because of what you have done, God has raised you up and seated you at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, above every name that is invoked, not only now, but also forever. And God has placed all things under the feet of Jesus, and it's to this Jesus that we pray. The name above every name. Father, thank you that you have blessed us. More than we can imagine, more than we can actually conceive. And I pray for each of us, Father, that we would live out your will more fully. That our, what we believe and how we behave will become closer to, to, to each other by the power of your Spirit that works in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are not in Christ and you've realized that these blessings that we've spoken of are not available to you, you don't know that the Holy Spirit is in your life and made real the things of God to you, we'd love to pray with you afterwards and there'll be a prayer team, some of our pastors and elders and prayer ministry team will be in front. Won't you come up and just say, I need to get in Christ. If you have other needs and would like other prayer, you're more than welcome to come for prayer as well. Uh, there is baptism today. But from next week, for the next four weeks, uh, because we're running a Life Changes course in the, in the venue, there won't be baptism. So if you need to be baptized, today is also the day for that. God bless you as you go. Amen.